Coming up on this episode, we're going to visit a wine bar bookstore, travel back in time, and find love with a robot. Welcome to episode 295 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will Knaus, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. We want to wish you a belated St. Patrick's Day. For those that choose to celebrate the holiday, we hope you did so responsibly and aren't too hungover. (laughs) And that maybe you got to enjoy some lovely green food, like maybe a shamrock shake from McDonald's or something. Mm -mm. Good stuff. Now, while we didn't eat any green food, you know what we have been doing? Reading. That shouldn't come as a surprise. So I'm going to have Jeff kick things off with a series that I know he's been enjoying an awful lot. Oh, so, so much. Following Roommate by Serena Bowen, which is probably my favorite book of 2021 so far, uh, I was so eager to get my hands on the books in the new Vino and Veritas series. We got to visit this bookstore wine bar ever so briefly in the epilogue to Roommate. And let me tell you, so far, this series, which is a spinoff from Serena's True North Universe, is off to a great start. If you haven't heard my interview with Serena from back in episode 281, go check that out. Because she not only talks about Roommate, but she talks about the creation of Vino and Veritas and the other spinoff series that she's doing from True North. Now, the first book in Vino and Veritas is Featherbed by Annabeth Albert, and it actually came out earlier this week. It is so incredibly wonderful. Now, Vino and Veritas is a bookstore and wine bar in Burlington, Vermont, that's owned by Harrison Fletcher. Harrison's gotten out of the big city, along with his mom, to open this bookstore and wine bar. And as he puts it, the dream is more hers than his, as she's returning home. But he is more than happy to be doing this for now, because he's just not sure what the future is for him. Now, Harrison meets Finn Barnes because of chickens. Yes, there's a feather to this feather bed thing going on here. (laughs) It seems that a delivery of baby chickens arrives at the bookstore by mistake, and Finn has to come into town to retrieve it, but not before some of the chicks escape and have to be rounded up. Now, this has got to be one of the cutest meet-cutes ever, because you've got fussy, fastidious bookstore owner dealing with hot chicken farmer, as Finn is called at one point, and they're having to bond over these misdelivered chickens. Harrison isn't happy they're in his store, and Finn's not too happy about this city slicker failing to collect his rare birds. But then there's Audrey, Harrison's mom. Not only is she delighted by the chickens, but she also sees the vibe that's happening between her son and Finn and decides to undertake some subtle matchmaking along the way. Now, Annabeth makes great use of city boy versus country boy throughout the story, and the shifts in Harrison as he comes to embrace life not only in Burlington, but out on Finn's farm too. Finn invites both Harrison and his mom out to visit, and that first visit is such a hoot, but it's also so endearing. Right down at the beginning as Harrison completely misjudges what to wear. Luckily, it's Finn to the rescue with some spare boots to spare Harrison's fancy loafers. Both guys have reasons not to be looking for a relationship. Harrison's trying to open the business. He's not really sure that he wants to be in Vermont, He for sure doesn't see himself on a farm, and he's got concerns about his family medical history and what it may do to him. Finn, on the other hand, has a ton of work to do at the farm, and his family, who rely on him a lot. 
And he's also pretty sure Harrison will end up and flee back to New York at the first chance. Now, Harrison and Finn fairly quickly get into the friends with benefits situation as they spend more and more time together. All of it leads to true feelings, though. I absolutely adored the dates they had over dinner. And Finn trying to get Harrison, or Harry as he called him just to be a little bit annoying, to try more comfort food rather than eating all healthy all the time. The projects they help each other with, too, are super cute, including building Audrey a chicken coop of her own, and they have such great banter back and forth. Annabeth just really gives these guys sparkling dialogue. These two are stubborn, though. Harrison is convinced he shouldn't get into a relationship because he is sure he is living on borrowed time, since the men in his family have died young at pretty much exactly the age he is now, which is only in his early 40s. Then there's Finn, who is absolutely sure, and yes, they are both so absolutely sure that Harrison will bail at the first chance he can. They also think they know what's best for the other, and they are so very good about making choices without discussing it. Now, Annabeth plays this so well. I love how she has the guys rising and falling on these topics. One minute it seems forgotten, and then the next minute the thing that is the blocker for them comes rolling back more forceful than before. Sometimes I get annoyed when people don't talk right and you know have the necessary discussion. Annabeth played this perfectly to a T, and I never got frustrated because I really understand the motivations for both of them why they're trying to do what they're doing. These guys both have awesome family. I loved Harrison's mom so much. Her love for her son and her wish for him to be happy and settled was so strong. Finn's mom and sister are so great to him and also want him to not totally be obsessed with work and the farm all the time. They know that he needs to find someone special too. These families are very good at nudging these two forward as it becomes clear that they can have a good life together. I loved everything about Featherbed and these wonderful characters. As usual, Annabeth writes vibrant characters with a romance that gives all the feels as they find their way to getting the happy they deserve. It is such a wonderful book, a wonderful way to start the Vito and Veritas series. And hey, guess what? I'm going to roll right now into book two. Heartscape by Garrett Lee comes out this coming Monday on March 22nd. And when I talked to Garrett in episode 288, she said that Heartscape was very different than Featherbed, and she was not kidding. But I loved meeting the other half of the team at Vino and Veritas, because here we're getting to meet the manager of the wine bar. Tanner shows up just a little bit in Featherbed as Harrison goes through the process of hiring him. And here we get his complete story, and whoa, what a story it is. The job at the wine bar was the lifeline that Tanner needed after some tragedies that he experienced in his previous job as a wildlife guide. He went through a lot of trauma, and it pushed him to the brink. In fact, his brother, who is a PI who happens to be out of town a lot, is constantly worried for him. The wine bar, however, helps to ground him with a purpose in getting the business off the ground, hiring staff, etc. But everything really shifts for Tanner when he meets Jax. Jax has been displaced from the hostel that is across the street from the wine bar because it caught fire. And Tanner takes Jax in because the guy only has the very clothes that are on his back and a few of his possessions. But they do have a mutual friend in Tanner's brother's girlfriend. Now, Jax has also been through Helen back with a serious injury and a really terrible relationship that kind of pushed him to move to Vermont to start over. And it just so happens that he's working for the wildlife company that Tanner used to work for. 
I loved how Garrett brought these two people who are different and yet similar together. Neither one of them is looking for love. In many ways, they are just trying to get through the day and make life a little bit better for themselves by finding some stable ground. At the same time, they each have this understanding around what they each need because they've been through the trauma. They never push one another to reveal the past. That comes at its own time in a very beautifully organic way for them both. From the beginning, though, Tanner and Jax have this spark. It's a little certain something that draws them together, makes them comfortable around each other, and over time lets them even use each other for a little bit of therapy, really. It's never about fixing the other, but more about having a sounding board to kind of sort things through. The small ways that they actually start to help each other is also really brilliant. Tanner gives Jax guidance about what he's doing out in the wilderness, trying to capture some wildlife footage telling him about the terrain, what to expect. Meanwhile, Jax lends his talents to the bar by shooting some video for their social media use. And really, it's really wonderful to watch this partnership and this romance develop between Tanner and Jax. As with Featherbed, there's a wonderful support group around these guys. Tanner's brother Gabriel certainly looks out for him, or at least as best he can given his travels. Eve, who is Gabriel's girlfriend, is close to both of these guys and even gently nudges them together to be like, you should really maybe go talk to him because he can help you. (laughs) It's really cute what she does to kind of nudge them along. The staff at Vino and Veritas root for them as well. And the guys actually end up helping out Molly, one of the bartenders, with some trouble that she's having. It's another great moment for Tanner and Jax to show what a great team they are becoming to be able to then go and help her. I loved every one of these characters. And if we're lucky, maybe some of these bartenders are actually going to get a spotlight in a future book. I actually have no idea if that's going to happen, but both Molly and Rain, I would love to see more of. Now, most of all, what I loved in Heartscape was the finale and what cemented Jackson Tanner. There were a lot of ways it could have played out, and Garrett gives the final act a little bit of nail-biting, emotional roller coaster ride, where each guy has to really confront some of their most deepest fears head-on in order to come out on the other side. It seals their fate to their happily ever after with each other, and it also paves the way for them to have more peace in their lives. It's one of the most satisfying final acts of a book I think that I've ever read. Garrett's created such amazing characters with Jackson Tanner, They're damaged and yet very similar. They're very different in how they approach the world because of how their past have influenced them. But the ways that they're able to find peace with each other, that's also not a cure for all the issues, was just so perfect. Believe it or not, even with the angst, I still found this to be a comforting read because of the peace that our heroes found. It's a second brilliant entry in the Vino and Veritas series, and I really love the one-two punch of reading Annabeth and Garrett's debut entries in the series to meet both the bookstore owner and the wine bar manager. Just absolutely brilliant. I think I'll be reading Vino and Veritas all year long as this multi-book series continues to roll out. So I definitely recommend you add both to your TBRs. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you've had a good time reading those. I know I've certainly had a good time as I continue to read for my 100-day project project, reading 100 stories in 100 days. That, so far, is still going strong. And in addition to those short stories and novellas that I'm reading, I also promised myself at the beginning of the year that I would read more gay historicals, because that's a genre that I enjoy, and I just wasn't getting enough. 
So I'd like to talk about some historical novellas that I've read recently. The first is Object of His Desire by Ava March. And boy, does this story start off with a proverbial bang, because a debauched orgy is the culmination of a week-long house party at the Somerville estate. But Henry is bored by it all, because he is really interested in the host, Arson, Lord of Somerville. His lordship unexpectedly pulls Henry aside, and over drinks, they discuss why Henry is the only guest who did not partake of the pleasures on offer. Arson admires the steadfastness of his heart, whoever it may belong to. But their conversation is interrupted when word of an unruly guest is brought to Lord Somerville's attention. Henry helps take care of the drunkard, but some wine is spilled in the kerfuffle. They go to Arson's bedchamber, where he changes his shirt and lets his appreciation of Henry's large frame be known. Their kisses and caresses soon turn desperate as Somerville takes charge of their desire giving Henry every pleasure he has ever wanted. During the night, Arson ties up Henry for a bit of fun, but it sends the big man into a panic. It seems his last lover had restrained him and was abusive. But Arson has no intention of ever hurting Henry, and they spend the rest of the night demonstrating the depth of their passion and trust. That in the morning, a reckoning comes. Henry is in love, but he will not settle for scraps. It is all or nothing. Arson will gladly give his all to be with Henry, explaining that he's done with life in London and is going to be retiring to his country estate, hopefully with Henry by his side. Okay, seriously, you want scorching hot historical romance? This novella does not disappoint. Though our heroes are only together for a single night, boy, what a night it is, Ava March brings to life the chemistry of Henry and Arson in such a way that there is no doubt that their intense attraction will burn brightly for many years to come. And how do I know that? It's because the author herself tells us so. Henry and Arson's story continues in the short story, Pleasures of Somerville Park. And in this story, Arson is frustrated that his youngest brother has been sent from London to spend several days at Somerville Park, going over ledgers and dealing with the family's estate. He is most frustrated by the fact that with a guest in the house, he and Henry must be discreet about their relationship. One evening after dinner, Arson finds Henry in the stables. He's forlorn because he believes that Arson is going to be returning to London with his brother. But he assures him that he will never do any such thing, and he is steadfastly committed to Henry. And to prove his devotion, he bends over a saddle stand and begs his beloved to do what he knows how to do so very well. Now, this story takes place a few months after Object of His Desire, and it should come as no surprise that Arson and Henry still cannot keep their hands off of each other and are still very much in love. I mean, truly, if there ever were a couple who could assure that the halls of Somerville Park are filled with happiness, it is these two. Now, Ava March has been on my radar for a while. I've been wanting to read her stuff, and several of her books are in my TBR, and I finally took the plunge on Object of His Desire, and boy, am I glad I did. Crazy sexy, a lot of sweet, genuine emotion. I really enjoyed Henry and Arson's story an awful lot, and I think you will too. Another historical that I read recently that I really, really enjoyed is One Good Lord Deserves Another by Eden Blake. And in this story, Edmund is tasked with turning the newly christened Lord Alec into a respectable gentleman. And keeping the devastatingly handsome and flirtatious Lord in check may be a much bigger task than he first imagined. 
Alec cannot believe that Edmund has found his way back into his life, because years earlier, when he was a child, Edmund paid him a kindness, one that Alec has never forgotten. And ever since that time, he has been smitten with the older gentleman. And their days are spent doing things gentlemen do during the season. They make calls, they take promenades in the park. And one afternoon, the two of them are sharing an eel pie from a street vendor. Don't get grossed out. Apparently, it's really good. I totally just made a face when he said (laughs) eel pie. (laughs) It's when they're eating that Alec saves Edmund from a pint-sized pickpocket. And it's the compassion that Edmund shows to this adorable little street urchin, despite the attempted theft, that it makes Alec love him all the more. At a ball, Alec insists he only has eyes for Edmund, but does his prescribed duty and dances with several eligible young ladies and a few gentlemen, which raises Edmund's hackles. Could he possibly be jealous? Alec finds Edmund's possessiveness a turn-on. They go outside to take some air. And in a dark corner of the Rose Garden, Alec is finally able to steal the kiss that he has wanted for so long. He explains their meeting from years earlier, and then he whispers all the wicked things he intends to explore with his irresistible lover. Now, they both share the same intense attraction, but falling for Alec is the last thing Edmund should be doing. Alec's uncle is heavily invested in Alec finding a good match and producing an heir. Both of their futures are at stake. They end up carrying on through the season, and Edmund goes to great lengths to show Alec there is only one responsible choice to be made, but he is having none of it, and soon has his beloved naked in bed, proving he knows exactly what he wants, and that is Edmund. They start slowly, but Alec is soon worked into a complete frenzy, because if this is truly the only moment that they're ever going to have, he is going to take all that Edmund is willing to give. Afterward, Alec comes up with a scheme. With the help of a friend who has a reputation as a rogue, Alec pretends to be ruined so that the only honorable way out of the scandal is to marry Edmund, who is penniless but titled nonetheless. They open a shop where Alec will ply his trade as a barber for the upper class. They will make their way beholden to no one. It's a perfectly adorable HEA for a perfectly adorable couple. Okay, where do I begin with how much I love this novella? One Good Lord Deserves Another is historical age gap perfection. Alec's passion for Edmund practically leaps off of the page. And can we please talk about how amazing it is to see an older, thicker hero coming into his own and finding his one true love? Alec is a traditionally irresistible, handsome hero, but he simply cannot get enough of Edmund's roundness, which is described as plump and sturdy. His bulk is heavy and full. And at one point, Alec even describes his lover as a perfect armful. It is all very sweet and very, very sexy. I would personally love to see more husky heroes just like this. I also liked how in Eden Blake's historical world, Alec and Edmund were able to marry. The only objection wasn't to the fact that they were two men, but to the question of an heir to Alec's title. Honestly, if the rest of the stories in Eden Blake's world are this openly accepting and unrelentingly sexy, then 100% sign me up. I definitely want more. I am so glad you're finding some super good and hot historicals to read as you continue your year of historicals. And that the 100-day project is continuing to go well for you. As we're recording this, we're actually on day 41 of the project. 
Yeah, uh, we're still trucking. Trucking along, <laughs> getting close to the midpoint. And if you want to follow Will's reviews on the 100-day project, you can find them all if you go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash 100 days. That's 100 days, and you can see everything that he's writing. We also put them out on Twitter and on our Facebook feed every day when they come out. So I'm going to now zip us forward into a eh, not maybe so distant future as I talk about Revenge of the Brobot, a steam room story by J.C. Calciano. This was such a fresh and funny rom-com moment that J.C. has released with this book. J.C. is best known for his films, the ones like E-Cupid, The Ten-Year Plan, and Steam Room Stories, the movie. And with this, he's really taking the Steam Room universe into some new territory. And as you could probably tell from the title, there is a robot at the center of the story. Now, we open at Hot Bati Robotics. That's B-O-T-Y, Bati robotics as dr herbert or herbie as he's best known in the story he's watching rob and and that's an acronym for robot with organic body going through paces with several partners he is a sex robot but you know what that's not what the u.s government thought it was purchasing it expected soldiers even though hot bodies business was essentially built on sex toys no matter robots can be reprogrammed and the (laughs) muscular rob is a perfect model for a soldier Now, the general who's come to get his robots isn't very happy at all, and Hot Body's CEO, Bentley Burns, scrambles to make everything okay since super soldiers can really propel the company to the next level. Unfortunately, the specs given to Herbie were to build a perfect human specimen without mentioning the soldier part. (laughs) Oops. Yeah, big oops. (laughs) I know how project management works. you got to give all the specs. Now, the general wants Rob reprogrammed and ready for duty in two weeks, along with another fleet of robots. Herbie, however, refuses to let Rob be harmed. He'll just make another robot. So he gives Rob the instructions to get out, go hide, find some place to be safe, and never, ever come back no matter what. And, of course, Rob does just that. He leaves the hot body factory clad only in a skimpy towel. And where's a hunky robot to go? The gym, of course. Now, meanwhile, across town... We meet Chase, who's actually wrapping up his day at the design firm that he works for. He's the creative director on a big project overseeing a new museum exhibition that's about to open in two weeks. You notice all this two-week thing coming (laughs) into play here. And he's excited about the exhibit, but he is completely stressed out trying to get to the finish line. So he's off to the gym for a steam session with his bros, where they all, they hang out, they catch up, they talk. It's a good stress reliever for all of them. And certainly they are a tremendous friend group who come into play so often in this story. Now, what Chase ends up with by the time he leaves the gym is agreeing to let Rob come home with him to crash because he needs someplace to stay. And because, you know, gyms have an abundance of lost and found, we're at least able to get Rob into some clothes that aren't just a skimpy towel. Now, it turns out that currently single Chase might just be bi. He can't help but admire Rob's physique when they meet. But during the time that Rob is staying with him, Chase actually grows a lot of feelings for him. Rob is always happy to help out. Initially, this revolves around cooking and cleaning in return for the safe place to stay. But it soon changes into far more than that, as even the robot starts to show signs of truly caring for Chase. Now, this evolution of the feels for both men is so super sweet, and it really grounds the story in some of the craziness that surround the rest of it. 
And you can't help but root for these two either, even while Chase has no idea that Rob isn't a real man. One of my very favorite moments between these two, and it proved to be even more important than I realized in the, when it actually happened, Chase gives Rob an Apple Watch. And they talk about its heartbeat function and how it can let you feel the other person's heartbeat. Guys, this is so swoony and so sweet. Oh, my God. And how it plays at the end of the book. Just I didn't expect to kind of get a little teary eyed in the middle of this kind of comedy, but it happened at the end. Now, Rob is so super sweet as he learns how to really navigate this world on his own. He is so smart, but he's also full of, you know, a lot of childlike wonder, too. So it's really fun to watch him kind of figure out how to deal with the world and with human emotions. And sometimes the things that people say don't really make sense. And he reminded me a lot of Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. How he'd be that super smart android that he is, but then also be like, I don't understand what you're saying because it makes no sense. And Rob also has this issue that his batteries don't want to hold a charge. He's got that notorious thing where the battery fate is happening. And it really puts him in some precarious situations as he must find a place to charge, but also needs to not show that he's plugged into a wall receptacle somewhere. Now, what Rob and Chase don't know is that the military is coming. Corporal Matthew is on the hunt for Rob at the general's orders, scouring the area for him. Meanwhile, Herbie is trying to track Rob, but also do it so that no one else can find out because he's been taken off the project. Then there's Chase, who is falling more and more in love each day, and he's trying to figure out what that means because he didn't really embrace his bisexuality, but he's got his bros to help him figure that out because his group of friends really kind of covers the spectrum of sexuality, which is really great to see. Now, Rob, unfortunately, makes a big miscalculation on what Chase actually might want and it actually happens just as chase is getting ready to make a huge grand gesture this drives them apart and leaves rob in some significant danger the finale of the book is some rather wacky shenanigans between a standoff with the military and the bros looking to save rob and getting the two together there's a bunch of sexy hunky robots involved in all this to help save the day (laughs) it's really freaking insane and it's just awesome JC really weaves a very sweet love story. And actually a few love stories weave through here. Chase and Rob are the primaries. But there's a lot of other couples that get together here too by the time the story's done. And it's so sweet that everybody, even even Grumpy General gets a love by the the time we're done with all this. There's the big manhunt, or maybe that should actually be a robot hunt. There's a little bit of sci-fi slash Pinocchio stuff going on as Rob outgrows his programming and becomes more of a sentient being. I really loved everything about this very sexy, romantic, and at times very over-the-top comedy that blended all this together and but kept its core, like I said, rooted in that cute story about the man and the robot he loves. You should really just add this really breezy, fun bit to your TBR and pick up Revenge of the Robot. The audiobook is also really good. I enjoyed R.K. Beth's narration and the vibe that he gave the story. As a side note here, I have to say that one of the things I loved was the many varied ways that J.C. came up to say penis. You know, there's only so many ways you can do it typically in a book. There's the, the, the small lexicon of words that we all use. But here we got things like pleasure python and rigid rocket. And many alliterative things that got woven into the story that were just hilarious. I I laughed every time one came up and it just added to the comedy in such a perfect way. So I enjoyed this like 
in from left field comedy that I just didn't know I needed that featured a robot. And frankly, I hope that he makes this into a movie. I don't know if there's any plan for that, but this would be a super cute movie too. (laughs) Now, if you're interested in links or learning more about any of the books that we've discussed in this episode, I think you know what to do. Go to the show notes page for episode 295 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And I do want to let you know that the Vino and Veritas books are available on Libro.fm. You know, we love them because they're a great way to get audiobooks. And at the same time, you're supporting a local bookstore of your choice. So both Featherbed and Heartscape are there. All you need is the really great to use Libro.fm app and you'll be set up and good to go. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. All you have to do to get details and take advantage of that is go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash librofm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And you could be listening to audiobooks with them in no time at all. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. I hope we've piqued your interest enough to add some of these stories to your TBR. But coming up on Monday in episode 296, N.R. Walker is going to be joining us to talk about her latest book, Bossy. Yes, that book came out just a little bit earlier this month, so we'll have all the details on that. Plus, NR is also our selection for this month's Big Gay Fiction Book Club with her book Throwing Hearts, so you know we're going to be talking about that book too. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. 